0: Amen, amen. How many know if there's a billion harvest that's coming to the nations that's been prophesied? How many know we need a hundred thousand in Chicago? There's been a prophecy for a hundred thousand or a billion to come, and there has been a prophecy, I believe, in this house of a hundred thousand. Amen. Come on, somebody. I want to let you know I've never seen what I am seeing right now in this church. I want to give you some highlights. We went from the back-to-school bash Saturday to the back-to-school bash Wednesday to the back-to-school bash Friday. We have never seen what we're seeing now in this church. The back-to-school bash Saturday was probably the best we've ever had, Wednesday probably the best we've ever had, and Friday as well. Let's make some noise from what God did over the week, amen? Brother, whatever you get up those pictures, that would be awesome. And wouldn't me just encourage you today to not get discouraged when the devil's messing because God is blessing. Amen. Uh, brother, we had two uh, highlight pictures from the week. Amen. If you can help him, Nancy, in the back to get that. I want to thank every single one of you for coming out because you made it possible. Let's give it up for the Wednesday turnout, and then let's give it up for the Friday turnout as they put it up there. Praise God. That's what God did in and through you all. Amen? That's what he does through us. Now open up your Bibles with me to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 28. Somebody say, perfect in Christ. Say holiness unto the Lord. Amen. You don't need to have the shirt to be cool as long as you believe it, you're cool. Amen? I have been going through a mini-series in the second service. I see many of you have been coming to the second service. I see familiar faces, so this is a part three, and there might even be a part four because I'm so encouraged by your response to this message, and I sense it in my heart that it's a word from the Lord. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 says, He, talking about Jesus, is the one we proclaim admonish and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ Jesus. And what is the King James or the literal word for the word mature? What do we say? Perfect. Let's go to King James so they can see it, brother. King James chapter 1, verse 28, Colossians is teaching us that Paul is proclaiming Jesus. He is admonishing them in Jesus. Colossians 1, 28, sir. Thank you. He is admonishing them. He is warning them that he might present them perfect in Christ. So often we get afraid of that word perfect. Nancy, would you go back there and help him today? Thank you. I know he's doing his best. Somebody say perfect. Don't be afraid of the word perfect because the word perfect doesn't mean you're without mistakes. According to the Bible, the word perfect means that you're complete and that you're whole. We're not talking about Jesus making a bunch of perfectionists. Oh, you didn't do that so good. It's outside of the lines, child. Color a little bit better. We're not looking for perfectionists in the body of Christ. Speck inspectors and peck, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, pecker inspectors and speck inspectors. Does anybody know why I say that? Does anybody know why I say that? Peck inspectors is a way of talking about a man's body part. Or pecker checkers, there we go, or or peck inspectors, looking for the circumcision in Galatians. The Bible says there was people wanting to see whether or not men's genitalia were circumcised. I'm still in PG. I haven't gone to PG-13. So pecker checkers or peck inspectors okay so they're looking for it they're looking for the man's genitalia and seeing if it's been circumcised the other one is spec inspectors does everybody see that In the Bible, because it says some have a plank in their eye, but they're looking to try to get a speck out of your eye. Is that what God is raising up? Is he trying to raise up perfectionists that are all about the little details of the law that has been fulfilled in the Old Testament? Is that what God is trying to do? No, the law has been fulfilled in the Old Testament. When we talk about the details matter and that the details count, we're talking about what God has in the new covenant. We're not talking going back to circumcision, so we're not looking for perfectionists by the Old Testament law, worshiping on Sabbath, keeping a certain diet, these kinds of things. This can get confusing to people. That's why I'm helping you. At the other end, is he looking for people that never make mistakes, get every answer right on the test, and don't grow in their understanding of God? In other words, that if you just have the minor detail with you, you. A minor mistake. You're outside of the body of Christ. God doesn't want you, and He kicks you out. Yes or no? Is that what God is looking for? Y'all getting quiet in this Presbyterian church? Help the pastor preach. When we talk about peckers, uh, checkers, or peck inspectors or spec inspectors, we're talking about the excuses that people use to not have you believe you're perfect in Christ. If you were to say right now you're perfect in Christ. Probably somebody would walk up to you and say, well, do you keep all the laws of Moses? That's what they would say to you. And many of you wouldn't know how to answer. So don't buy this shirt unless you're ready to wear it. You're not ready, some of you. I can tell. Maybe a part five coming up because this is not even part of four yet. See, some of you want to wear a shirt like this and then someone's going to come up to you and go, well, that means you go to church on the Sabbath. And you're not going to know how to answer them back because what they're wanting to do in this little, this little phrase that I've given you, peck inspector or pecker checkers, that phrase that I'm giving you is God is not looking for that. God is not looking for us to go back to the Old Testament to try to find perfection there. The Bible's very clear that no one is perfect by that law, 613 of them to be exact, except Christ. Can I hear an Amen. The second thing that somebody's going to walk up to you and do if they see you wearing this is they're now going to want to find a mistake in your life. They're going to look for a speck. They're going to be a speck inspector. Peck inspector, spec inspector. Or you could just say pecker inspector or pecker checker and then spec inspector. Does everybody get it? These are supposed to help you. They're not supposed to be confusing. They're supposed to be simple ways to understand things, but I'm going to take my time today. What they're going to do is look for a speck in your eye. That's what they're going to do. They're going to say, oh, didn't I hear you lose your temper on the job yesterday? You know, you wear this to the barbecue at the company picnic, you know. Didn't I hear you lose your temper yesterday? Well, first of all, losing my temper is not a sin. Let's just clarify that. Raising my voice is not a sin. Who told you that? Okay. Okay. Uh, let 's just be clear, uh, being like Jesus, getting a whip and whipping you is part of the the program that 's a, a possibility here, okay? Can I hear an amen to the full Jesus, amen. full Jesus, full Jesus, no half Jesus here, no half Jesus uh, there's times for that okay okay so uh, well, I, well but I saw you lose your temper and then you apologize and then you apo- and you said you were wrong you said you were wrong, wrong. you know they kind of talk like this, a little stuck up, right you were wrong and you admitted you were wrong so how can you say you're perfect? You're perfect. Now, what, what, what some are going to say, uh, they're just going to say, well, in Christ, in Christ, you know, because I'm saved. I'm in Christ. But that, that, doesn't, that doesn't carry the full weight of what Paul is talking about here. If you're just going to say, well, spiritually, just spiritually, I'm perfect, you know, then what does that mean? You know, you, you say you're perfect on the inside, but you act like a devil on the outside. What does that mean? So you got to be able to explain to them, no, 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 when I say I'm perfect in Christ and that my spiritual nature has been changed and that I am completed, what I am not saying is that I don't make mistakes. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you won't find a speck if you're looking for it, and if you ever do, let me know, but by the way, you've got a plank in your eye because I hear you cuss every day. It's not a problem. Isn't that something how the coworker will point, point out to you the one time you lose your temper but ignore all the times they cuss and take the name, of the, Lord in vain, the, the name of the Lord in vain, right? And the reason why that is is because they're plank eye, okay? Now, what are we saying when we say we're perfect in Christ? We're saying that I don't ever have to sin again because I've been made right. And if I ever do sin, I'm, I'm upset about it. I'm not happy about it. And you can point it out and I'll tell you that, that it was wrong and I shouldn't have did it and I never want to do it again. I'm not saying that I keep the Old Testament law. That's not what I'm saying. I do not say I keep 613 of the Old Testament laws. I am a New Covenant believer. I am in the New Covenant. Now, out of those laws, I know I can keep them perfectly. There is not one law that's been put before me that I cannot keep perfectly. But if I don't, it is not your job to try to make me feel bad about it. It's God's job, the Holy Spirit, and good people to encourage me never to make that mistake again. So what's the difference between a speck and specter in accountability? In accountability, we both have the planks out of our eyes. So I don't have a big plank in my eye trying to point out you Christian sins. No sinner should ever be pointing out a Christian sin because they're going to hell. I'm going to heaven. I win. You're a loser. You're, you lost. Why are we even discussing this? You've You've already lost. Well, I'm trying to help you out because you Christians say this. this, Well, you don't get a right to touch this. You're an unclean, filthy thing. You're an unclean, filthy thing. You don't get to use this. I go to a good church that will talk about my sin. Amen? That's what you can tell. I go to a good accountability partner. They'll talk about my sin. You filthy sinner don't get the chance to talk about my sin. Don't let filthy sinners get you to talk about your sin. Talk about their sin. Say, I already know I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've accepted Christ. What about you, you filthy, wicked thing? Because I can sing Amazing Grace and mean it. Who saved a beautiful person like me? Is that what it says? Who saved a nice, cuddly sinner like me? Who saved a wretch like me? See, I know I was a wretched thing. See, you're still a wretched thing. Don't talk about my sin when you got all the sin in your world and, and, and in your life and in your world still happening. Okay, so. But are they right to point out that we have mistakes in the sense of if we're calling ourselves perfectionists? Yes, but I'm not saying you're a perfectionist. And that's where John Wesley used to get into a lot of arguments and with people over the holiness message. And if you read Christian Perfection by John Wesley, you'll see that he clarifies this. He even brings up the point of you probably can be wrong about a lot of things even in your doctrine and beliefs and still be perfect in Christ. In other words, being perfect in Christ is an identity statement, and how you're going to grow in your doctrine and understanding is a maturity statement. There is identity and there is maturity. But once again, that does not mean in maturity Nothing matters. Well, I'm just perfect in Christ, so all of that, that matters has already been done. It doesn't matter how I live, how I believe, I'm perfect in Christ. Now that's not true. There is an obedience to Christ, to his laws, it's new covenant laws, but there is an obedience and a carrying of the cross. Amen. Okay, now going back to Paul, he said, Whom we preach talking about Jesus, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom. Is this coming to you very wise today? Am I doing this with wisdom? Then I'm like Paul, by God's grace, that we may present every man, what? Say it together with me. Perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Amen? How many know God is working in me? He's working in you. And what is he doing in that work? He is using us to proclaim the message of Christian perfection. That was Paul's message. You are perfect in Christ. And then your maturity will follow your identity. If you can't get past the first phrase, perfect in Christ, you'll never get to the working out of your perfection. The way Hebrews describes this is that Jesus learned obedience through that which he suffered. John Wesley talked about this learning and said, perfection does not mean know it to to all-ism, to know it all. Because when Christ came to earth, it said he learned things. How many believe Jesus was a person like us, a human like us? Did you have to learn things? Yes or no? You didn't, you didn't know everything. So Jesus had to learn language. Jesus had to learn uh, arithmetic, mathematics. Jesus had to learn those things. But I thought Jesus was perfect. Now do you understand? Being perfect in your identity doesn't mean you are a perfectionist. How about this? Here's something to think about. Could Jesus have gotten the wrong answer on a test? I think so. Here's why. Because a wrong answer is not a sin. A sin is a violation of God's law and code of conduct. Jesus never sinned, broke God's law and conduct. He was the fulfillment to the Old Testament law and conduct. But does that mean that Jesus knew every answer on the test? I don't think so. Personally, I don't think so. Because being perfect does not mean that you know everything. How many know Adam and Eve were made perfect? Did they know everything? No, they didn't. They had to have conversations with a serpent. They could even be deceived by a serpent when they chose not to listen and obey to what God called them to. So why is it when people hear the word perfect in Christ, they think perfectionism? It's actually a devil's lie to get us to think that so that we don't get the real deal. It's the devil's lie to get you to shun this and to put it down so badly that when you hear a holiness preacher talk about it, that you say, oh, of course, I couldn't be a part of something like that. Those holier-than-thou people, they just want a holy club. And remember, I talked to you about that the first week we introduced this subject, that the word holy club used to be the bee's knees of the holiness movement. You wanted to be in the holiness club. It was like, are you in the club that TJ's in on Sunday night preaching? I'm in that one. The Holiness Clubs was was started by the Wesleys as a way to say we are holiness unto the Lord. But over time, as I began to describe to you the cultural upheaval in the American church happening during the 60s and the 70s, the holiness movement got to be shunned. And and, uh, we're not one of them. We're not one of those holiness churches. Now, granted, they had gotten carried away. You couldn't have a TV, play cards, go to a dance. The denomination that I came out of still forbids dancing. Most of the pastors in that denomination dance. Hypocrite much? I always talk to them about that, and I say, you know you can't dance at this wedding. And they're like, well, I know my denomination says that. I'm like, dude, either agree with your denomination or get out. I believe in alcohol in moderation. I've had some beers with those guys, and then I find out where they're at, and I say, I won't drink with you anymore because your denomination says you can't. One even went so far to say, well, they've made some allowances, and they allowed me to do it. I called it the demo- denon- going to say uh, demonic, but it's denominational. A deacon is not a demon, okay? Just everybody remember that, and a denomination is not the demonic, okay? But I called up one of these denominations, and I wanted to find out. And I, and I didn't name names. I'm not a tattletale, but I called them up and I said, uh, is it true if you live in this place and do this and do that and you're a minister and this is, you can still drink? And the guy said, absolutely not. No one who has our credentials in this denomination can drink. Hypocrite much? Now, why do I bring that up? Because, you see, holiness got to be looked at as something that was so just antiquated, uh, no longer feasible. Of course, you got to have a TV now or a phone or something like that. I remember when holiness preachers used to brag about not owning a phone. They would say, I'm too dumb to own a smartphone, and they would say they had just a normal phone because they didn't want the internet on it. I remember preachers saying they didn't have anything on the web. I, I've been around a little while. Are you listening? This, this salt and pepper is not a dye. This is earned. Some of you cool kids want to put white in your hair. This is what it looks like when you get it, when you get it for real, okay? This, this has been earned by God's grace. And I got some others in there that can agree with that. So I, I've been around a while, so what it began to look like was, Oh, you guys don't want to watch TV. The women have to, you know, not cut their hair, and and you got to, you know, wear suits. And there was a bunch of these do's and don'ts you couldn't fit into the Bible. And so then these uh, people came out, and they were basically saying, Well, just come to church as you are, and and, uh, we'll sing uh, contemporary songs with our worship instead of hymns. Not knowing, not knowing, the earliest holiness preachers used to take the bar tunes and turn them into hymns. Do you know that some of the Wesleyan holiness tunes came from the same rhythms of the bar tunes of that time? But they didn't know that. Anyways, they got away from it all, and they thought they were so smart. And then before you knew it, you came to a crossless church with a Christless gospel, and all you would get then is just moral deism. Try your best. God is working on you. Nobody's perfect, and we'll just help you out on Sunday. I'm jacked up, and you're jacked up was the motto of the pastor to the people. And as I said, my one friend, instead of putting the banner holiness unto the Lord over the church, put over his his welcoming, uh, uh, you know, banner. Put no perfect people allowed. No wonder Jesus is not in your services. You've told him he's not allowed. I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but isn't that something? They say no perfect people allowed. No wonder Jesus is not coming. You said he's not allowed. Isn't he a person? How many believe Jesus is a person? How many believe Jesus is still in heaven fully man? You have literally said to Jesus, you're not allowed. That is a devil's lie. Don't believe. See, I'll be here just, well, maybe I'll be here for a little bit longer. I was going to say I'll be here all day if I stuck on this, but I'll, I'll stay here just a little bit. I feel the anointing here. People are saying things that are not true, and it makes the Bible look bad, and it gets you away from that which is true. If the devil can distract you, he can keep you busy, that is enough in deception. See, oftentimes, we think the devil has to convince us of a totally opposite proposition to deceive us. That is not always his, his modus operandi. If he can distract you, he can keep you busy enough from the things of the gospel. It doesn't matter what you believe. In other words, how many still on the streets out there today believe in God? Most of them, most of them. atheism is still not even close to majority. So how many of them believe in God? I, I would say 70 percent in my, my uh, you know, anecdotal uh, times that I'm out preaching, maybe seven out of 10, very very rarely, maybe two to three say I don't believe in God. OK. But how many today are pursuing God as the way the Bible teaches? They're not, but what are they? They're distracted. So they're spiritual. They're looking at horoscopes. They're listening to this talk by, you know, Oprah Winfrey's guru. They do meditation over here. So they're distracted, but they're not necessarily anti-God. They're just distracted. And it's the same thing in the church. If I was to say to people in the church, how many of you believe, if I was visiting at any good church today, and I would say, how many of you believe you could keep all of God's commands? Most would say, well, I think I could, or at least that's why God gave them to me. But then if I said, how many of you believe, ask them, how many of you believe you're perfect in Christ? How many believe you started at the finish line? How many believe God has right now perfected you and has made you whole and complete, and there is no sin that you'll ever face that God hasn't made a way out of? See, now you start putting some rubber to the the road, and now they're going to say, well, I don't know. Well, hold on. Are you a saint or an ain't? Because a saint says amen to the commands of God. What does an ain't say? Well, I ain't ready for that. I ain't ready for that. This is the southern way of saying it, by the way. Chicagoans, you probably don't talk like this, but I ain't that. Man, you perfect? No, I ain't that. Nobody's perfect, you know. Can you keep God's commands and, and, and be happy doing it? No, I ain't ready. You see, a saint says yes, Lord, to everything that he says, An ain't goes I ain't ready for that, makes all these excuses. See, Paul made it very clear what his perspective was on this subject. He believed that when a person came to Christ, they were perfect and that it was his job to give them these things, notice this, warnings and teachings with wisdom so that they could keep that perfection and be presented to Christ on judgment day as who he made them to be. Jesus is not saving you at death, Jesus is saving you at rebirth. When you're born again, that's when you're perfected in Christ. Death is not your Savior, Jesus is. So when are we perfected? The moment we get saved. So should we start living like we're perfected? Absolutely. But is God looking at us as a perfectionist? That one sin, we're out and one and done, and no, you got to get born again, again, and again. No, that's not what he's saying to us. What he's saying to us is the more that you understand who you are, and the more that you understand who Christ is in you, the more you'll act like Christ in what you do. When you start from the finish line, you're no longer trying to achieve something. You're just being something. If I'm already a conqueror, now how do I act like one? Isn't that what the Bible said we are? Now the rest of the journey is how to act like one. How many of you are more than conquerors? Couldn't tell by that. One more time, how many of you are more than conquerors? Amen. Now act like it. Well, I'm still trying to win all my spiritual battles. That's not what the Bible says. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. I've done a whole series on spiritual warfare. The Bible does not say you are fighting for victory. The Bible is very clear that you are fighting from victory. Have you ever seen that? It's a big difference. It's a big difference. Some of you are waiting to become a conqueror, just, just waiting till after this battle, I'm going to be more than a conqueror. No, you're less than a conqueror. You're somebody that's less than a conqueror, where well, the Bible says you're more than one. How are you more than one? Because the battle's already been won, and you've been given the victory. You are more than one. You didn't have to fight to get it. But I thought I was fighting a fight. You are. You're fighting the fight of faith. You're fighting the fight of faith that believes you are who God said you are, and you can do what he said you can do. You've already got the victory over the devil. Notice the the language right here. And, uh, Rudy, would you help him um, and maybe help yourself a little bit? We're going to Ephesians 6, spiritual warfare, please. Thank you. There you go, good brother. Nancy, if you can hear me, go back and help him as well. I want to make sure my guys in the back feel that they have all the uh, things they need. Now look at what it says. Go up a little bit. Verse 11. Finally, gets to the end of his letter, finally be strong in who? Your your power to discipline yourself, your self-discipline. No, be strong in who? The Lord and in his what? Mighty power. Now watch this. Put on the full armor, okay, so that you can take your what? Your stand against the devil's seams. Does it say that you're going to run off over here to a battlefield to Okinawa to go get the storm the beaches of Normandy? Does it say you're going to go run over here and go get you something? No. It says you're going to what? Stand against something. Notice the difference. I'm standing against the devil. Well, what am I standing against the devil in? My perfection and salvation. My perfection and salvation has already been given to me. I'm standing at the finish line. Come on, somebody. Do they preach like this in Africa? Come on, because I've heard some good faith preachers in Africa. In America, they've watered it down too much. They've gotten away from this. One brother in Nigeria was telling me, or a pastor told me about a pastor in Nigeria that just keeps preaching it to his people until they believe it. I know in Argentina, in the, in the revival there, in Buenos Aires, they would teach this. Um, uh, Sergio Scatellini wrote the book, The Baptism of Holiness. So many of us don't even know the stories of holiness preachers and how it's promoted the gospel all over the world. Holiness is not a bad thing. It's not something you should be afraid of. It's embracing your identity. So it says here, stand against the devil's schemes. Now notice this. Our struggle's not against flesh and blood. That means we're not fighting against people, but it's against these rulers, against these authorities, against these powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, right? So it's against them. We have a struggle against them, but what is that struggle for? Keep reading. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of what comes? the day of evil comes, you may be able to what? Stand your ground. After having done everything to do what? Stand. Does it say I'm running to go get something? No, it says I'm standing in something. Thank you, Nancy. What am I standing in? Victory. Overcoming the perfection of Christ, sanctification. Come on, somebody. I'm standing in righteousness. I'm standing in holiness. I'm standing in the image of God. There's your battle. There's my battle. Do I believe it? If you believe it, receive it right now and say it in Jesus' name. I stand in victory. Say, I stand in holiness. I stand in perfection. It is mine in Jesus' name. Devil, you can't have it back off. And then we go, right right here, come on, now go through the weapons. Go through the armor. What do you got on? The belt of what? That's holding up your pants, telling you who you are. The belt of truth. I'm no longer a sinner, I'm a saint. That's what you're putting around your waist. The breastplate of what? Your good works, trying to get to church on time and please your pastor so you can feel like you're a better person, you're a better you, you're doing it out of religion. You put on the breastplate of What? You got it. You got it. Well, brother, I'm still trying to be righteous. You did it wrong then. Go get it and put it on. That's how you do it, right? Well, you know, being holy is hard sometimes. You're doing it wrong. Can you put on something? Did you put on your clothes today? The Bible literally says in Colossians, as we can go through the book further, says put on Christ. How hard is that? Come on, saints. You put on your clothes today, put on Christ. Every bit of righteousness that is in Christ is in you right now. Put him on. The Bible says you have the mind of Christ. You might say, Pastor, well then why do you have a job? Paul told me what my job was, to convince you of it and then present you to Christ in that. Please go back to the passage. We'll go right right back here to Ephesians, but go back to Colossians. What is my job then? My job is to get you out of stinking thinking. My job is to get you out of the, out of the pecker, checker, into and the speck inspector. My job is to get you out of low self-esteem and to get you into God-esteem. My job is to get you out of the rat race of trying to make yourself a better person but become a new creation in Christ. That's my job. Now, what is my job to the sinner? My job to the sinner is to say, oh, you've gone about it all the wrong way. By grace, you can be saved. And then once they get saved, this is what I do. What does it say? Whom we preach, Jesus, warning every man. Because if you're not being presented to Christ perfect, you're not getting in. This is what I say to my friends when I, when I debate with them in seminary, I mean, seminary, is that they, they try to get a little snarky with me. You know, well, what are you saying then? Are you saying you're perfect? Is that what you're saying? This is what pastors say to me. And I'm like, bro, first of all, what I'm saying of myself, I say of every single Christian. I am not taking upon myself some title that I only get because now I have the knowledge of it. That's the heart of Gnosticism, which is the word Gnosis, knowledge, that these people taught back in the day. Oh, if you don't know this, know this, know this, you can't achieve these certain spiritual levels. And then they had a lot of other false doctrines with it. But Christianity is not a gnosis only of Gnosticism, trying to always make it in head knowledge. I said, brother, this happened the day you got saved, but you didn't realize it. Because somebody talked to you the day after you got saved the same way they talked to you the day you were unsaved. They didn't change their verbiage with you, and they should have. I thank God for the song Amazing Grace that reminds me of what wretched I, man I was, but that's not who I am anymore. I am now perfect in Christ. That's why we sing songs like that here to help build up your identity because you shouldn't be looking always back at your past making that your identity. You're not who you used to be, but you hear that in the churches. Oh, we're all just sinners saved by grace. No, I was a sinner saved by grace. Now I'm a saint. Amen? And I still need grace, but I'm a saved saint. Oh, well, no one can ever love them like the way they should. No, the Bible says you either love them with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or you're not getting in. Oh, come on, somebody. Go to Jeremiah 33. Go to Jeremiah 33. Lord, help me get to these notes if it's important. If not, Lord, keep me going. Keep me going, because I'm not even close to the notes right now. Go to Jeremiah chapter 33. Most people don't even understand even these pastor friends that I've dealt with before, the new covenant. Scroll down until you see something about the new covenant. Good, sir. Thank you. When we get to the covenant of of, uh, the prophecies here in in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, keep on scrolling down, should have it here for you. Look at this. Let's keep going down. Keep going down. Watch this. Let's keep going down. Well, look at Ezekiel 33. Go to Ezekiel. might be Ezekiel. Now, pastors going to need some. Hold on, you're in, are you in thirty three? Okay, yeah. Go to Ezekiel thirty three. Find me the new covenant in Jeremiah, please. It's in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah. I will give them a clean heart, and I will move them to keep all of my laws. That it's not going to be uh, is Ezekiel thirty three either. Look, somebody look it up. Google right now, please, for help the pastor. It says I will make Jeremiah thirty one. What 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 verse? 31 through 34. Thank you. So it's a 33 in there somewhere. And so Jeremiah had something to do with it. You all ready for it? Okay, Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31, according to the man of God. Okay, let's go down to verse 33 because this is not the part I'm looking for. There we go. There it is. It is a 33 in there. 31. 33. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. Somebody say, I'm in a new covenant. See, if you're in a new covenant, you need to talk like you're in one, don't you? You need to believe like you're in one. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. And in Christ, we are in the covenant of Israel. I will put my law where? In their minds and write it on their what? On their hearts, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Go on, scroll down just a little bit more, please. Okay, now get the scripture. Google this scripture for me quickly. Whoever's going to help me, and I will move you to keep all of my laws and commandments. It's either in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Google that for me, please. And hold that passage there. Don't forget that one. In the new covenant, we get a new heart, right? Yes or no? Do we get a new covenant? Uh, and we get a new heart. How about a new mind? So what's left of you that needs to change then? Somebody says, my flesh. Yes, your flesh will change, and you're going to count it as crucified. But are you your stomach? Are you your flesh? I'm asking you a question. Come on, saints. Are you your eyeballs? You have them, but are you them? No, you can lose an eyeball, but still be you, can't you? You can lose a finger and still be you. I almost lost my finger wakeboarding, but it only got broke. Can you see it? Now, did, I, did my heart change when my finger changed? Did my, did my mind change when my finger changed? A little bit when I felt pain, but, you know, come on. So you're not your body, but you live in your body, aren't you? You have a body, but you're not your body. Thank you. What is this now? Ezekiel what? What? Eleven, nineteen, and onwards. Praise God. Look at this. Thank you, man of God. Look at Ezekiel eleven, nineteen. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. So we got the Ezekiel and Jeremiah references now coming together. I will remove from them their heart of stone. Well, you know, sometimes I just have a hard heart. Well, then you got to get saved then. Let me just take another little trip down the rabbit trail right now. When people are telling me that they've seen deliverance and demons cast out of Christians, I bring them back to these scriptures and say, You have not met a demon-possessed Christian. You just met a demon-possessed backslider. Because you can't have two hearts, one that belongs to God and one that belongs to the devil. And I'm so tired of people telling me their experiences. Well, Joe, I had a demon. Well, then let me tell you, you were lost. Well, Joe, my pastor had a demon. Let me tell you that your pastor was lost. I just does it shock you? The Bible says many will say to me, "Depart." Uh, we did all these things, and I will say to them, "Depart from me." Does it shock you that priests in the Old Testament had demons, and the kings had demons? And guess what? They had to do. They had to backslide first. Before Satan could enter Judas, he had to backslide. Hello. So don't tell me that Christians can have demons. You can have, you can have your own mindset that can be just like a demon, and we'll help you get free from that. And if I'm not sure if you're saved or not, I will call out the devil because I don't mind beating him up on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, and Jesus, I'll beat him up seven days of the week. But I'll just tell you, either one of two things happen if you got a real demon and you had a real deliverance in that sense. You were not, you were not saved, ma'am. You were not saved. Or you had so much stuff going on up here, you emotionally wanted to imitate a demon-possessed person. And I've seen it happen. I've seen Christians be so in turmoil emotionally that when people get, you know, prayed for and all that, they imitate the demon. And you're not demon-possessed. Relax. I've had to say to Christians, relax. And I'm like, listen, relax. You know, relax. And I'll talk to them and I'll say, listen, I'm going to give you one more chance to relax. Because I'll talk to the demon if there's one there. And I'll say, Satan, are you there? In the name of Jesus, come out. And then they stop, ta- they stop doing that because there's a deliverance that really you need to address something to Satan. And then there's just other people that are just hyper emotional. And I'm like, it's okay to scream, shout, jump, and holler and all that, but don't do it like you're demon-possessed. You're under control. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And then you can see them, and I'll talk to them. That's when I used to work the altars, amen? I said, amen. I used to work altars. I'll come back to them. I'll come back to them right now. You want me to work some altars out here? Come on. Who's next? I'm ready anytime. But what I'm telling you, you know, I try to help. I say, calm down. Calm down. What's going on? You know, well, this has happened to me. I've made this mistake. Okay. Repent of it. You know, let 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 God get it out of you because this hyper emotionalism doesn't mean that you got a demon. It just means that it's been bothering you. You're hurt, and that's why in the Pentecostal church we got to discern the spirits. The Bible says we got to discern the spirits. That doesn't mean you become like this guy Bob Larson and talk to the spirit for a half hour and do an interview with it. You never see that in the Bible. Okay, what it means is I'm going to discern: Are you a Christian? Are you a non-Christian, first of all? If I discern in your spirit you're a Christian, then I know that whatever you're dealing with is going to be emotional. And let me just tell you this. People can be traumatized in their own emotions and be what would look like demonization, but it's their own emotions. Trauma looks just like demonization in a lot of people. They call it trauma now, but back then they, they just used to call it your troubles, you know? Your woes of life, but it is trauma, and people get hung up on it, and I get it, and they want to be free, and there's a joy, and we'll never stop you from getting free and excited in here. What I'm just saying is when we're trying to pray for you sometimes, if you're too out there, we're going to bring you back in because you need to hear what we're praying over you. We're not just calling out some demon, telling it to leave. We want you to know where the healing is coming. And the healing is coming because you're going to renew that part of your mind, which I'm going to get into in just a moment here. But everybody hear this. The new covenant comes with the praise, God, blessing, and benefit of the upgraded, undivided heart and new spirit. If you don't have that, you don't have the new covenant. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Have you ever seen these people uh, around Halloween time get a costume like Transformers, but it's made out of cardboard boxes? Anybody ever seen those? They're like in a cardboard box, and then they stand up, and they're like Optimus Prime. Some Christians are like that. They're pretending to be something that they're not, and the problem is they don't know who they really are, and they need to know that they are the Optimus Prime. They're the real deal. But they're pretending to be something they're not. I always I bring up this example of coming to America. I don't recommend it, but it you know was a movie back in the day where you had this prince Eddie Murphy, who pretended to be just an ordinary dude and worked at McDowell's. You know, but you know that's not who he was. He wasn't just a dude working at McDowell's. Nothing against those who work at McDowell's, but he was a prince. You know, and we got Christians living in cardboard boxes like that example instead of being who they're supposed to be. You got a Lamborghini. Why are you in a cardboard box? Amen. And we got princes in the house, but you're acting like you're the slave of the devil. So, yeah, there's got to be some things that change. I'm not saying just put a stamp on you today and go, you're great. Just go out there and keep doing what you're doing, kiddo, or sport. No, I'm not, I'm not here to to be some disconnected coach and is just showing up so I can feel like I did something today. No, I, I'm here to help you grow and change and these things you don't like about yourself are going to change and all of that and things I don't like about myself. I get all of that. We're, we're going to get to that too and I can relate to it. But that's not who we are. That's not what happened. That's not salvation. And it couldn't be more clear in the scripture if you're actually reading it for what it says. He said in the new covenant, you would get an undivided heart. He said in the new covenant, you would get a new spirit. Now watch this. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's what they'll do. They will be the law keepers, not of the old covenant, but of the new covenant. Can I hear an amen? If you believe it, say it one more time, amen. Amen. Now go to Romans chapter 12. Let's get to some of the practicals of what I had in mind for this message. I believe I have a few moments if you'll be patient with me. Sometimes I'm a little sassy, but if you can take the sass, it will be good for you. Amen? It's just to wake you up and get you tracking with me because if you can see this behavior for the silliness that it is, you'll get, it, you'll get rid of it. You go ahead and show them a picture of a centaur, please, because I always believe when I show you the centaur, you're like, Ugh, I don't want that. But isn't that the way most people thought they were as a Christian? Most people think as a Christian you're half sinner, half saint, that you're part man and you're part beast. That's not who you are. You are the image of God. You are the perfect image of God. You are the righteousness of God. You are holiness unto the Lord. When God looks at you, he says, I am well pleased. Hallelujah. And when you believe it, you'll live like it. I did my whole doctoral study on this, teaching people this. I gave them a survey at the beginning and at the end. The survey at the beginning was how much do you look at pornography? How much do you beat yourself up and how you're not a good person? How often do you fail at doing all of these things in the Christian life? Okay? And and, and people were telling me all their problems, all on these stats. Then I taught them who they were in Christ. The book's out there. It's called In Him. I taught them who they were in Christ and then I asked them those same exact questions at the end and they were passing with flying colors, being free from pornography, being free from low self-esteem, not struggling in the ways that they used to. Why? Because it's a simple act of faith and obedience that changes your world. If you're thinking to yourself, this is how a Christian is, half sin or half saint, how do you get to become more of a saint then? Well, you got to shave your legs today? Look at the centaur example. Isn't that a disgusting creature there? Disgusting. Disgusting. Now, sometimes they make them a little cute. If you've ever seen like the All Spice or, or the Old Spice commercial, that one guy, they make them kind of funny and cute, whatever. But this is not cute. That's ugly. So how do you go to becoming more of a, a human in this example? Well, you shave your legs and do all that? Is that what we're supposed to do if we want to become more of a Christian today? Well, I just try a little harder. I just read my Bible a little bit more. Well, no, you're still, you're still both at the end of the day. You, you know, a guy shaves his legs. He's still part of a horse, you know? Is that what Christianity is to you? Because that's what it's like for a lot of people. And I'm here as your pastor to say, I can't counsel that. I can cast a demon out of a person, but I can't cast a a person who wants to act like a demon. I can't cast out a person who wants to act like a demon. I'm going to say that again. I can cast a demon out of a person, but I cannot cast the person out who wants to act like a demon. If you want to act like this, I can't get you to stop, in other words. If you want to keep making excuses for you, uh, your mistakes, your problems, and you want to look at it like this is what Christianity is, I can't stop that. There's nothing I can do for that. But going back, please, to the, the passage in Colossians, what I can do is I can warn you that that's not the way you're supposed to live. I can warn you and say, you're going to have a terrible Christian life living like that. And that's why all my friends who have preached like that live miserable lives. One day I was uh, just driving my car, just hanging out, doing something, and my friend called me up. He's a pastor, and he said, "Uh, Joe, I know this may be weird, but I got my guy's staff with me, the, the males on my staff. We just wanted to call you today. Can you give us the secrets of how you haven't looked at porn in over 20 years? This is a pastor with his other pastors on staff, gave me a call. Now, we're friends like this, so it's not odd that I would get a call with his staff there just to ask a question. But the kind of question? Can I just be honest with you, very, 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 very transparent. That man should not be pastoring. We have gotten to the point where we think pastoring is what I do with the microphone. That's not why I'm your pastor here in this church. I am your pastor because I'm the first example of what it means to be blameless and holy before God. If I was blameless and holy before God but terrible at this, I would still say come to this church. As a matter of fact, if you hear some of Paul's attacks that were against him as he's defending himself, what is he defending himself against? An attack that he's not an impressive speaker. Remember? He says, they think they're eloquent in all of these things, but I'm not that. But God did not call me to speak the words of wisdom. Don't you see a hint of maybe Paul's weakness as a public speaker in his defense of his abilities? But yet, Paul was an amazing pastor. Why? Because when he sat down that microphone, you could follow him as he followed Christ, This is what I want to say, honestly, and I don't just say this because I'm trying to make myself better than anyone else. I want you, if you ever think about going to another church from this church, I want you to ask the pastor these three questions. Have you been without reproach in your character for 10 years? Have you been, listen, without reproach in your character for 10 years? In other words, there has been no meetings with elders and you having to work on things that would take you out of the ministry, reproach against your character, number one. Number two, when was the last time you looked at pornography or had an issue with the sexual uh, ethics of your life? And then number three, how do you implement that to the people in this church? Because if you've done it, If you have lived without reproach in your character and if you have your sexual sexual ethics under control, which is the biggest fall for most ministers, let's be honest. How do you now implement that to the people under your care? Because you're amazing. God has blessed you. You are a leader to us. We can trust you that you're not going to use and abuse us. You have lived a good Christian life. Now, how do I know that the youth pastor, the worship leader, and all these other people here are doing the same thing? I want you to ask that of pastors. I asked that of one of my friends, and he says, none of your business. He it's none of your business. If you have a pastor tell you that it's none of your business, then your business shouldn't go to his business. Because I'm getting sick and tired. I want everyone to hear this. as a full transparency here. I'm getting sick and tired of people judging our church based on our presentation to the building, to how I dress, to how it comes across to them, while they're lukewarm living in sin and finding soft pastors to give them a conscience break. Are you listening to me? Because I would rather be with a holiness preacher that knew how to keep the stuff together and was a little bit tough on sin with me, and if that person loved me, I would rather be with them than in a soft church. Because you with that pastor can go to hell. Get the scripture for me. A righteous blow is what I call a blessing. Get that for me. We talked about it in staff meeting. Because I'm telling you, I'm t- this is just as a pastor, I'm tired of watching the devil take your lunch and I'm tired of watching the devil beat up on Christians because they think the guy behind the pulpit is the one they should be following and they have no idea what his life or her life is like. And I'm just, I'm just hurt by it. I'm, I'm not saying I'm the only one, but I'm saying there are very few. If, I, if, if the statistics are right, and if I have given them to you over the, the years correctly, if 80% of pastors don't even make it to 65, then most pastors you talk to can't even give you the 10-year clean, clean slate. And now we're wondering why our churches are so full of sinners and people confused about how to live. Because this is not what they want. This is not how they want to live. This is not the things that they want to do. What they want to do is ease their conscience. But I want to tell you, I have a clean conscience, and that's the best kind of conscience. When you know who you are in Christ and you've lived according to God's word, you fear nothing in your conscience. I fear nothing. This is my phone right now. This is my phone right now. Come and take it, young man. Come and take it. Search everything on this phone you want. Go anywhere you want. Do any trick you know how to do. Go. Sit down. Do it. Just don't download anything on there. Now, don't get me in trouble. I'll blame it on you. Nancy, have you found it? This is not it. Say, put it in there. Righteous man, strike me as a blessing. Right, Google righteous man, strike me. It might be blowing the King James. Listen, I have zero to fear. That's my daughter right there, Bethany. Every single one of you can ask her, how does dad live at home today? Every one of you. You know why? Because the devil's afraid of us when we live holy. I'm not afraid of him. When Christians do not live holy, they become afraid of the devil. They become afraid to let people into their home, into their lives. They're afraid for people to touch their phones, look at their bank account. This brother could pull up my bank account right now. I fear nothing. I fear nothing. You know why? Because I know who I am and what God has done in my life. I stand before a congregation weekly and talk like this, and no one ever exposes it. You could stand up in this meeting right now and expose me. The greatest thing they bring against me is that I'm mean and that I'm not nice. And guess what? I don't care what they think. I care what Jesus thinks and the elders I serve with. They let me know if I'm not nice, not some backslider. Are you listening? Let a righteous man strike me. This is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is an oil on my head. Do you hear what that Bible said to you? Let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. I'm just going to speak to Isaiah today because he was already, uh, we already talked. Isaiah, can you come up here? Can we give it up for Isaiah as he comes? As a matter of fact, I want to bring up Isaiah. Isaiah, would you come up as well? Brother, would you stand right up here for me, please? Let's give it up for Isaiah as he comes. Now, don't nobody confuse them. Isaiah and Isaiah. You should know the difference and know better. Half kid because I've confused them. Isaiah, Isaiah. I want to talk to you two men today. I may not always tell you what you want to hear. I may not always be what you consider the nicest pastor. I may not always have time to hang out with you, come to your graduation parties, or go to your barbecues. But as some of the newest members of this church, and as this congregation as a witness, I make a promise before you. I will never lose my integrity. If you see me lose my integrity, be the first one to stop following me as I follow Christ. But if you see me in my integrity, I implore you, follow me as I follow Christ. And you'll never regret it one day of your life. Whatever habits have beset you or held you back, you will see them as far as the east is from the west. You will turn, and one day you will look at a table full of olive shoots at that table, and you will wonder, how did I get a wife? How did I get kids? How did I have these friends? And God will say, it was because you trusted him every step of the way. Amen. Can we give it up for Isaiah and Isaiah? That's my heart. My heart for you as a pastor is that I will never lose my integrity. Oh, to God, we would have people in the church again that never lose their integrity. My heroes lived and died with their integrity. I'm sorry you have seen pastors backslide. And then somebody said to you, well, we're not supposed to follow man. That is a devil's lie. We follow men as they follow Christ. You got a Bible that came from men. Didn't the atheist remind you of that? You're already following what they said, are you not? I said, are you not? Are you not to obey your leaders? Hebrews 13, 17, please. Please put it up. So yes, we don't just get discouraged. It's, you know, people can fail and say, oh yeah, well I'm done following people. No, you follow the right ones. Have confidence in your leaders. And God is calling up a church, not just a pastor I rebuke anyone who says my testimonies are about me. They are not about me. They are for the glory of God. And if God did it in me, he will do it in you. There is a testimony that's been tried for 25 years, and he'll do it in you, my brother, my brother, my sister. I am so grieved by a culture that it gets offended even by my testimony. I was in Bible college and and thank you, sir. Am I clean? Am I clean? Amen. Come to my house and sit at dinner. Spend the night. I have an open door policy. I may not be there every time, but listen, you come anytime. You can test my integrity. This is not just, oh, I'm perfect in Christ. I do whatever I want because he just loves me. And they call these preachers now greasy grace, sloppy agape, because they're not really seeing the transformation. They have a great message of what I've taught you, but they don't then implement it to keeping the commands. And I want you to see that this is a command-keeping covenant. Yes, we can keep commands in this covenant, but if you go back to the, uh, the Jeremiah passage, I believe, uh, or Ezekiel, I'm confused. on Whatever one it was, he puts his laws in them to keep them. Thank you. Ezekiel 11, in this covenant, I have what they never had. In the old covenant, I have the Holy Spirit living in me that has given me a new heart that moves me and that will move you to keep the commands of God. And this is the preaching that it excites me. And I pray that it excites you, not just emotionally, but spiritually. That you walk out of here and you say, devil, I am who God said I am. And I can do what he said I can do. I am righteous. I am holy. I am blessed. I am more than a conqueror. I am the workmanship of Christ. And I will be handed to him perfect. I will be handed to Jesus on behalf of the Father perfect. Because of what happened here, what happened in this life, from what I understood and received, and not only just knowledge of the mind, but of transformation of the soul. Going back to Romans chapter 12 quickly in closing. Thank you, brother. You've been helping me. The transformation that now is ongoing is how you and I think about it. And that's the battle. I know, I know you've heard this before. But you need to be reminded, and so do I, when the thoughts of our minds do not line up to the mind of Christ, the mind that we have must change. You have the mind of Christ if you are born again. You have it. You know His will for your lives. I know a lot of you, sometimes you get confused, you know, and you ask God, what should I do in my life? And you come to me as a pastor, pastor, what should I do? And I take the humility, I really do, and I understand it. But I want you to hear this. The Bible says, my sheep know my voice. If you're in a place of confusion over the voice of God, you're doing something wrong. Maybe you're praying about something God doesn't even want you to pray about. Well, you know, my coworker is starting a new business and they've asked me to come join them and now I'm praying about it. Yeah, well, just because your coworker left to start something new and asked you to come doesn't even mean you need to pray about it. Did God tell you to do that? Does everybody get that? So a lot of times people are coming to me with prayer requests. I don't even know if God's asked you to pray. If God didn't even ask you to pray, that's just circumstance. Somebody you know is awesome starting something new. That's great. What does that have to do with you? Well, they asked me. What should your answer be? No, until God speaks, I stay where I'm at. 99% of your directions in life will happen through that. I don't move until God speaks. This one point, you know, 1%, this minor thing of, you know, I need to seek and then God speaks will be very minimal in your life. Mature Christians, come on, vouch for this. 99% of the time, maturity in Christ is doing the last thing he told you to do until he tells you to stop. I do not need to wonder if I have the right wife. So how can any Christian ever say I, had the right, I have the wrong wife? If you're married, you got the right one now. Unless they leave, break covenant, you've got the right one. That's the one you stay with. That's the one you pray with. Are you guys listening? So when people come to points of decision, well, I've graduated high school. Now I'm moving on to this. Well, you should have been knowing what God was telling you to do all throughout high school. Well, now I'm a senior. Now I need to do this. Why haven't you been praying this whole time? See, some of you, it's just because of immaturity. You, you don't know how to hear from God. And I look at a lot of the prayer requests that we get on our prayer page, and it's not a bad thing. You're doing the right thing coming there. But you're not understanding the mature thing is to begin to know God's will for your life in these matters. And then, of course, test them by the counsel of many where the Bible says victory is sure. But I don't need to pray about going to another church, or pray about taking on another church. I pastor Metro Praise until God says, stop pastoring Metro Praise. It doesn't matter if I get five requests a week. Do you want to pastor in Idaho? Do you want to pastor in New York? It doesn't matter. God told me to be here. That's regardless of what's going on in my life. Amen? And so a lot of you, you're, you're not trusting the last thing God said. And what God said, he meant. When I was told by God to go to Bible college, that's what he meant. When I was in Bible college, didn't get along with the professors, quit, and then tried to leave, and then asked God for his peace, I found out real quick he doesn't give his peace to every wrong decision I make. And that's why I turned around and went back. A lot of times I see people making wrong decisions, and it is clearly a wrong decision, and they continue in that. I now know for a fact they didn't know how to hear from God before that. I, ask, I talk to my wife about this quite often. I say, I don't even know how they're sleeping tonight. You used to probably hear that in the world. I don't know how she sleeps at night, you know, uh, and these kinds of things. But I mean that as a pastor. I don't know how in the world they sleep at night. I can't go to bed with my wife with an unresolved issue, let alone the leaders in my life, the people that I love and respect. Come on, Pastor Bertle, can I get an amen, man of God? If you and I were at odds, I could not go to bed at night. I would have to resolve what has happened in our relationship, and if one meeting did not resolve it, I would have to have another meeting. There are Christians who live in conflict all the time. That's why they're quitters, because they don't know how to resolve anything. Are you guys listening to me? So being perfect in Christ doesn't mean that you don't sometimes question God's will for your life. You're going to always do that until the time of maturity, and even in mature places, like that 1% of the time, you may want to know, whoa. What does this look like, God, as I move down further? Let me just give you one more example. Last time I had this, it was with my wife. We both made a mistake here. The guy that I rented the house from, he said he was putting it up for sale. Well, what does that mean to most people? Time to go buy a house, right? But God never told me to leave. I spent three months (laughs) going all over God's green earth of Chicago seeing every possible home you could possibly imagine, grieving the Holy Spirit all along the way, because I never felt a peace, to finally go back to the Lord and say, am I even supposed to leave here? And God said, no, you're not supposed to leave here. You're going to buy this house. And my wife will tell you. I said that was one of the first feelings that I had, but I went against it because I said, that's too obvious. I bet you it's time to upgrade. It's time to do X, Y, and Z. And, and my wife's got all this honey-to-do list stuff, and I want to start someplace where I don't have the honey-to-do list, you know? And uh, my realtor says he doesn't have the right price on the home, and all of these things, right? And you could call that wisdom, but you know what God told me from the day one when I had that, that, the landlord tell me it's time to move out? From day one, this is what I heard in my heart. This is your house. All I had to do if I wanted to be mature in Christ, come on, somebody say mature. Perfect in Christ. All I have to do next time as I hear that is just go, well, everything else is going to line up. I'm just going to wait until it does. Because, yeah, he didn't like the idea that I was going to stay there either because I wasn't going to pay the price that he wanted if you put it back on the market because I knew all the cracks and all the stuff, right? And, and my realtor, she's looking out for me. She didn't think the price was right. Okay, that's right. And Nancy had all the honey to-do to do this. That's all reality. I'm not living in a dream world. But I did hear a word from the Lord. And that was, you don't move until I tell you to move. And I haven't told you to move yet. Now imagine that. Think about how our daily lives are continually putting things into God's, uh, we're putting things on God's responsibility when he's told us what to do. And we're not trusting him. And we're saying that we're spiritual. And we're asking God to fix our messes. You know I was this close to getting a house? The bank fell through, and I had to go to another bank. But if that bank wouldn't have fell through, I would be in a house right now having to repent to you saying I'm in the wrong one. And I've had to do that. The building that we had before this when we were on Irving Park, the wrong one. And generally, when a pastor or a father or a leader makes a mistake, others suffer. And I guarantee you something would have been suffering in my life because of it. Now I could have pulled up the get out of jail free card. God, I pray for grace. Get me out of it. And I can tell you, because I've been in those situations, God says, my grace is going to get you through it, not out of it. But you're going to go through it for a while. And that's where you have to decide how much do you love him? Do you seek him just for his face or do you just want his hand? Because some of your mistakes you're going to go through and you're going to live through them and God's going to teach you how to go through it. As we come back next week, I'm going to hit all on this by God's grace if I can get into it because that's how we got to change our minds. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in views of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. See, that's what I have to do. I have to offer my body as a living sacrifice. When I'm freaking out, I don't have a place to live, and he's even threatened to, to uh, confiscate my equipment, you know, my house if I don't leave. And that, and, that, you know, and I don't want to break the law, but it's coming down to the wire, Right? Like, I still have to trust God. God told me this is my house. How is it going to work out? Because I know I'm not going to break the law, and I know you're not going to have to confiscate my stuff and come show up with the sheriff, you know. So it's, it's going to work out somehow. And just to put a little into the story, you know how it worked out? All three of those people all came into agreement. The realtor with the landlord with my wife. Signed the papers, was done. Don't you wish I could have got back those three months now? Don't you wish my wife could have got back to three months of her worrying and all about that? Don't you wish my landlord could have gotten back his three months? I had to call him up one day and say, you are a wicked sinner. That's a Christian's way of cussing somebody out. I had to call him up and say, you are a wicked sinner, man. I said, listen, I'm, I, I still feel this is my house, but I'll pay you extra if i got to figure it out. I'll, I'll double the rent. He, did, he wanted me out the day it was over. And because of the bank and all of these things going on, I was going to have to probably go move into an, R, an Airbnb. And I said, brother, can I just, I said, sir, can I pay you double to stay here? And he was like, no, I want you out on this day. And I said, you are a wicked sinner. <laughs> I said, all of the years that I have treated you good here. I said, all the years, I've taken better care of your house than you did. He even said that about me. You've taken better care of your, my, my house than you did. When I came in, the door was broke. Uh, one of the doors to the bedrooms were broke. Then I said, was that your previous tenant? He said, no, that's what happened when I lived here. I said, I want to fix that for you. I ended up putting about $1,500 worth of repairs in that house. And then you know what he said out of conviction? He said, oh, I'll cover that. Take it off the rent. That's how we started our relationship. That's how we ended that relationship. But I said to him, you are a wicked little sinner. My wife will tell you. Did I not say that to him? I said, you're a wicked little sinner. I said, we've done all these things for you. And I said, if I have to move into an Airbnb, then so be it. But I said, I know God's got my back. And you know what? That wicked little sinner signed that contract, and we got that house, and it was $13,000 under the appraisal. That means the day I signed the paperwork, I was $13,000 ahead of the cost that we just bought it, in Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Now, don't go around calling people wicked little sinners unless you feel the Lord leads you to do that. I'm just led to do that quite a bit, by the way. I'm like, like if he's choosing people, he chooses me a lot, I guess. Look at this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. And there's been many times he's told me not to say it, right? Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So what does true and proper worship look like? It looks like you making your body do whatever God tells you to do. That's what perfect in Christ looks like in everyday life. You make your body do what God told you to do. When I was talking to my friends when we were all getting off of cigarettes and all of these things, they said, man, how are you doing that? I said, God made a deal with me. This is what God told me. I don't know what he told you all when you got deliverance, but this is how it came to me. God said, Joe, if you don't touch it, I'll take the craving away from you. That's how I got off drugs That's how I got off cigarettes Drunkenness All of those things He said you don't touch it I'm taking it out of your heart How many have been set free from something And God did it You can't look back on it And say it was your four steps That made it happen It was God's step Amen And I'm not saying anything wrong To those who have taken steps That that might have been something you needed In your journey That's, That's how gracious God is to us But how many know There has been things done in your life You look back and you say only God There's things you look back on and you say, only God. Amen? I swore every day of my life. I swore so often. I didn't know when I was swearing. I was that kind of a person. I have not swore since the day I got saved. I have not taken the name of the Lord in vain since the day I got saved. But I do call on him a lot. I do call on Jesus. Amen? It's not taking his name in vain, but I do call on him. That's the first thing that comes out of my mouth now. I'm like, why are you swearing and getting him to be upset with you before you die, you know? If you're going to get hit by a car, oh, Jesus! you know, you, you're not really calling on him. You know what I'm saying? You, you've taken his name in vain. The last thing you did on earth was take his name in vain. Not a good plan. But if you're going to get taken that, that moment, Jesus, call out to him. Amen? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So why is it pastors are talking to Christians like they're sinners? You see, the advice I give you is not the same advice I would give on Oprah Winfrey show to the drug addict. See, the, the drug addict needs to get saved. The drug addict needs to repent. But how many know you're already saved? You already have the answer. So now what is my advice to you? Get renewed in your mind. Get renewed to what God said. That's why when I talk to counselors, I say, there's a lot of what you say that I say as a pastor. The only difference is you have no place to take their mind. You want the drug addict to keep saying I'm a drug addict. I want them to say I'm free in Christ. You want the perverted person to say I have a sex addiction. I want them to say I'm free in Christ. You see they have nowhere to start them. And without a foundation you can't build. But the word of God is the Christian's foundation. That's why you need to take serious when he said be ye perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. That's why you need to take serious when he said do not worry, but in all things you know bring these things to God in prayer and supplication because if you uh, you know follow after God and his righteousness, all of these things will be added unto you. Amen? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And what I'd like to do next week, by God's grace, should the Lord say the same, is come back. And, and, you know, last week we talked a little bit about meditating and being in his presence. I would like to talk about how the renewal of the mind has the power not only of spiritual transformation but of physical brain changes. If anyone wants to do homework on this, get Dr. Carolyn Leaf's books. Dr. Carolyn Leaf has the brain scans to show that what we as Christians do change our brain. Now, the world, they can do it too in some ways, but they don't do it like us. They don't have it like us because what we have is the supernatural power of God. And when you speak in tongues, and there's a brain study done on speaking in tongues, put that in speaking in tongues brain study, you are firing off the neurons in the places of your brain that even your own rational mind cannot touch. That's why when I pray the renewal prayers, when I ask the Lord to renew my mind to the things of God, I'm also speaking in tongues. And the way I describe it is, it's something you and I don't understand, but there's information being transformed. Like if you remember in the days of AOL, when the dial-up would happen and you would have to connect, it would be like, boom, bing, boom, boom, and you would make those noises. Anybody remember that? Weird noises. It sounds weird when I'm speaking in tongues, but there's things flowing back and forth. When you're renewing your mind, speak in tongues and begin to speak God's word over yourself and do not let your body convince you of something that is not true. Remember, when Adam and Eve saw that fruit, that it was good to the taste or good for the eating, that's when they were able to be deceived. See, the devil tried that same trick on Jesus, but it didn't work. Jesus had been in a fast for 40 days and the devil said, look at that bread. Doesn't it look good? And aren't you hungry? But what did Jesus say back to the devil? Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You and I will overcome our temptations and test and approve God's perfect and pleasing will when we believe it to be true. And when we go back to that shield, I'll go back to that armor. What are you holding up against the arrows of the enemy? The shield of what? Faith. And faith in what? Jesus is your Lord, that he saved you and made you like him. That's what you're believing. I'm saved, I'm sanctified, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. And any devil's lie that comes against that will be extinguished in Jesus' name. Band and altar workers, would you come and would you just remain at your seat? We'll stand and dismiss in a moment, but in an attitude of prayer, comfortably at your seat. If you have to stand, that's okay. You want to stretch your legs. But I just know sometimes when we stand, we look around and we get anxious. With, wherever you're sitting right now, would you ask the Lord to save you if you're not saved? And if you are saved, would you thank him for it? And let's prepare now to get renewed in our mind to the things of God right now. To what he said is true. For every shield, uh, for every arrow to be extinguished by the shield of faith right now. I'm going to be very transparent with you again. Do you want to know every arrow that comes at me as I preach this message? Is, oh Joe, you did it now. Now you told people, if you don't do these things, you can't be a pastor. You just lost your livelihood because you're going to mess up this week. Do you know how many times the devil has told me, hey, get ready to change your testimony about pornography because you're not going to be able to say 24 or 25 years anymore because you're going to do it this week. And you're going to have to tell a lot of people, look how stupid you're going to look. You know, those arrows come at me. But you know what I do right now in this time of prayer? Come on. They came right at me as I went to your uh, quiet moment, as we were setting the stage. That came instantly into my mind. You know what I just did? I said, Jesus, I need you. Lord, I have faith that what you began in me, you will bring to completion until the day of Christ. Until you come back. I just blocked that arrow that told me I'm going to be something different. I'm not going to be something different in Jesus' name. 25 years from now, I'll be 50 years in the Lord. I'm going to say a testimony of 50 years. You're going to see it in Jesus' name. Some of you are going to be young enough to watch me meet Jesus either here or in the air, right? I want you to be able to say like I can say of Lester Summerall. I met Lester Summerall when he was in his late 70s, early 80s. I recommend you get any book by him as you look up his uh, author page on Amazon and get books by him and be encouraged. That man kept his testimony his whole life. He even has a testimony that I can't say. He said, I was married to my wife, and we were sweet to each other for over 50 years and never gotten one argument. <laughs> Lester, you're my example. Come on. Help me with a Greek wife. <laughs> with an Italian husband, I know. Help me, Lord. Jesus, I don't ever want to be anything but sweet to my wife from this day forward. No excuses. If you did it for Lester, do it for me, Father, in the name of Jesus. He did not receive a different perfection than I did. Come on, pray out your prayers right now. What do you want to see God do in your heart right now? Extinguish every lie of the enemy. Extinguish every lie right now. Put it up in faith. Put it up in faith and stand your ground, woman of God. Stand your ground, man of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You will be holy. You will live it. You will be a testimony to this generation. You will be a testimony of His glory. You're not going back. You're not going back. Some of you say, Well, I've been in and out of this church so many times. I've heard y'all preach a message like this so many times, and it just doesn't work. You're done with that. In the name of Jesus, you're never going back. Extinguish it right now. Paul said, I don't fight like a man beating the air. I put my flesh under the cross of Jesus and count it as dead. I win in Jesus' name. I win. I'm not a loser in Jesus' name. I am not a loser. Come on, everybody say that with me. I am not a loser. I am a winner in Jesus' name. Come on, we're going to take some Saturday Night Live skits and we're going to turn them into Jesus Christ faith confession. I am a winner in Jesus' name. I conquer the devil by the grace of God. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I am not sin conscious. I am Christ conscious. I am not my failures conscious, I am not my mistake conscious, I am Jesus Christ conscious centered. My conscious is centered on this finished work of Jesus Christ. Would you stand up right now and begin to worship him, saints? Come on, center your consciousness on Christ. Help me say it, Lord. Put your conscious mind on Christ today and the subconscious will follow. The subconscious plays out that which your conscious mind suppresses and this has become pop psychology but the Bible just simply calls it your mind it doesn't matter what compartment it is in I pray for the compartments of your mind to be made whole in Jesus name right now never the same again holiness unto the Lord holiness unto the Lord right now in all your thoughts and all that you do and all that you say there was a few months ago I preached a message about God changing desire if you remember that I said I have always fought temptation as it's a desire I could do but I'm not going to do because I choose Christ if you remember that message God convicted me and I prayed that he would take the desire out I am here to stand before you almost three months later and say I have not had desire to have sin with anyone a sexual relationship with anyone else in my wife in those three months not even the desire not even something I'm suppressing but because desires can change sometimes the preachers got in trouble because they said they were going to pray the gay away and we had to be there when the people got done praying and say well what happens when I'm still same sex attracted so we taught them the process of mind renewal and those things but we forgot that there still can be a change of desire who wants desires to change come on you don't just have to submit to God because you know it's the better way. You just do it because it's the better way. But how many want the desire, the taste of it to leave you in Jesus' name? Raise up your hands right now and say, I want my desires to change. Father, change my desires in the name of Jesus. Change my desires. Let me look at anything other than a heterosexual marriage as absolutely disgusting. Adultery is disgusting. Homosexuality is disgusting. Pornography is disgusting. Oh, Lord, let me look at anything other than righteous living as disgusting. Put a taste in my mouth for it that disgusts me so I never desire it again. Let me see sin the way you see it, God, so that I don't think it's a cute thing to be promiscuous, so I don't think it's cool to be greedy. Or it's tough to be a man that curses. Show me that all of that behavior is wicked and disgusting. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Brother, please give me a picture of the Spartans and then that one dude that was all deformed, please. I want to show an example here in closing in prayer. In the name of Jesus. The devil wants to defile the image of God in us. Come on, in the attitude of prayer, think about how the devil wants to defile the image that he's given you. He wants to take that image and defile it so that you can no longer be who God calls you to be. And some people in this culture are going to tell you, accept the defilement. Be proud of your defilement. Do you know that today in our culture that they have become so defiled in how they believe that there are sinners in the same communities saying, I can't take that defile anymore. In other words, there are people in the gay community who themselves are gay, who are saying, I can't go to gay pride parades anymore. They are so wicked. I can't even go. And they themselves are gay and lesbian. There are others today in the belief of transgenderism they themselves are transgender they have done it and yet they say it should be illegal to do it to children because of what they had to go through the world is so wicked that they are even saying of them own selves of their own selves don't do this show me a spartan please show me leonidas please i want you to see what god called us to be now, I'm going to do some body talking here, okay? So nobody stumble, all right? Y'all holy? Come on, somebody say, I'm holy. I can look at this. And always remember this. A man without his shirt is not improper. A woman it is, because there's... And it's not if she's feeding, but if she's trying to be sensual. So let's be clear there. Uh, but th- th- I'm not showing you anything improper, okay? So that's that's what a body was supposed to look like. Not what I have going on here, okay? Not, not a keg, but a six-pack, okay? Now show me the man that wanted to fight with them but couldn't fight with them, okay? Now listen, I want to say this very carefully. We do not body shame people here, okay? We are not looking at people who have handicaps or deformities in a literal way that makes them feel less than, okay? So if you have a body deformity or handicap or somebody you love, we love you regardless of your body because you're more than a body, okay? I'm using this as an example, This man wanted to fight with the Spartans. And the Spartans have a way that they fight and a a position that they take. And he said to this man, can you take our position? And because of his body disfigurement, he could not take it. Now listen, in the movie, The Spartans, be careful if you watch it, there's some bad parts in there. But Leonidas said to him, okay. Okay. Well then you come and pick up the, the dead and you help us carry the bodies because we're going to still need your help, but you can't stand next to us and fight in the battle because you just you you just can't do it, okay? And then this man got bitter and betrayed the Spartans, if you remember the movie. I kind of spoiled it there, okay. But I want you to hear my heart in this. This is what a lot of Christians are living like today. They want me to affirm this and call this Spartan. They want me to affirm their way of living and call it Christianity. And it's not. But here's the difference between this and the uh, Christianity in the movie. Jesus could heal and restore that man to perfect fighting capabilities. And so we all were like this man in that way. But Christ transformed us to be the soldiers that we are now. Isn't that good news? so there's no reason to walk out of here today deformed in your Christianity if God is offering you the better way. Can I pray that before we go? Amen. And then we'll dismiss. Thank you for your time. Father, I pray for everyone here today that has things out of alignment, things that are not the way they're supposed to be in their thought life and how they're living. I pray, Lord, you'll remove it right now. I pray you'll straighten up every back. You'll broaden every shoulder here today, God. Lord, you'll lift up every chin, oh God. I pray you'll strengthen every arm and every hand to stand and to stand again in the victory. Lord, I pray that we leave out of here more than conquerors, that we do not up our testimony. We don't give up, give in or back down. But we fight the good fight of faith. And we do it, oh Father God, until you come back. I pray for every person here. As I looked at the two Isaiahs today, Lord, I pray for every person here to grab somebody by the hand this week and look them in the eye and say, by God's grace, you may see me going in and out of valleys. You may see ups and downs, but I will never lose my integrity. You can follow me as I follow Christ. I pray, Father, say that to children, mothers, husbands, wives, people on their job. That there's an integrity of being a Christian and that it impacts culture so that people know when a Christian says it, they mean it. When a Christian gives their word, they mean it. When a Christian comes into a meeting, they are different. And that the world, God, sees you once again in us. With hands raised, come on, it's all about him, isn't it? It's all about him. Would the world see Jesus in us right now? Would the world see Jesus in us right now? The world needs to see Jesus. The world needs to see Jesus. Do you do you know that in the Bible it never describes Jesus as being nice or or like a you know like a good guy just to hang out with? You know what it says he was? It says he was a friend to sinners. And the Bible says that he was kind to children, the Bible says he was bold to the religious. When you follow Jesus, you're going to have all kinds of emotions and his expressions, but you're not going to be known by a shallowness of nicianity. You're going to be known by a depth of character of Christianity. Hallelujah. We love Jesus, and we want to reflect him. Come on, reflect him right now in the temple. Be like Jesus in the temple. Be like Jesus with the children. Be like Jesus with the Pharisees. Be like Jesus with the disciples. Be like Jesus with his parents. Be like Jesus with the crippled. Be like Jesus with the governors. Be like Jesus everywhere you go. Well-rounded, fully expressing the emotions, the lifestyle, the holiness, the integrity of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Can you bless him, saints? I know I was a little long today, but I pray and encourage you. And if you need prayer, come on up. Follow some folks as they follow Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Man, would you please worship every day, every day.